Let's pray. Father God, um, we come before you and we don't want to do this alone. We don't want this to be an exercise in religion. But us bringing our hearts before you, our Savior and our God, fill us with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Make us more and more your own. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. There's a story I heard back in seminary during a missiology course. Missiology is the study of missions. Uh, There were these missionaries who went to the Pacific Islands. I forget which, which island or which people group. Please don't ask me details. But in sharing the gospel with these people, the missionaries told them that Jesus is the bread of life. Good scripture, isn't it? Good stuff, good ideas. For some reason, going, going from that point, the, the message wasn't like gaining the traction that they thought it would. There was some confusion around the idea of bread. Because these people in the Pacific Islands, they, they didn't have bread. What is this bread? What, what, if Jesus is the bread of life and bread doesn't matter to me, why does Jesus matter to me? And so they found that they had to explain to the natives there that bread is a staple. It's a, it's a necessary part of our diet. It's something we need every day to sustain us. And, and, and until one of the people finally said, oh, you mean like rice? Like rice is to us. Suddenly, when the missionaries began to tell people that Jesus is the rice of life, when they made some methodological adjustments to the delivery of the gospel, the connection was made faster for these people. There was an understanding, the, the, and, and the gospel all of a sudden cut through this web of cultural perceptions or, or misperception and misunderstanding. They changed the method of delivering the gospel, but not the meaning in any way, shape, or form in order to reach the lost for the sake of Jesus Christ. Here in our passage today, we're going to see Paul and Barnabas sharing the gospel as they had time and again before this. We're going to see a cultural misinterpretation of their method and then a refining of Paul and Barnabas and their evangelism of the lost in a new culture. Basically, we're going to see that they share the bread of life. The people of Lystra view the message and its method of delivery through their cultural and traditional perceptions, causing Paul and Barnabas to then go look for some rice. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. I'm going to start at verse 8 and read through verse 18. Let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 8, it says... Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, 
Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. So we see, starting in verse 8, it says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, seeing he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Paul and Barnabas come into Lystra, and Paul begins to preach the gospel, just as they had in every other town that they went into before this, bearing witness, as he and Barnabas had been called to, set apart by the Holy Spirit to go out and do these things. And there was a broken man listening to that gospel being preached. He could not use his feet. This passage reiterates that several times. As he could not use his feet, he was crippled from birth. He had never walked. And in his brokenness, he was ready to receive the gospel, that message of hope. The Lord had primed this man, allowing him these hardships in his life in order to prepare him for the gospel. There are some people in this world who are looking for a message of hope, and they will receive the gospel readily. Broken people are often looking for the hope that you have. So Paul, preaching as he always had, reaches the heart of the man who is broken and ready to hear this message of salvation. Seeing this faith arise in him, Paul does what he had done many times before this. Using the gift of healing, the Spirit of God heals this man. The power of God bearing witness to the truth of the message that was preached, right? We saw this back in Iconium, chapter 14, verse 3, just a few verses before we started. When they were in Iconium, it says, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands, right? God backs up the preaching of his word with the miraculous. We saw it with Elymas, the magician, back in chapter 13, as Paul had to say, you're going to be blind for a while because you stood contrary to the gospel. We see it in Peter's ministry in chapters 9 through 10. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 33, what does it say? Chapter 4 of Acts, verse 33, it says, And with great power, 
The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It started back in chapter 2 of Pentecost, didn't it? As the Spirit settled upon them in tongues of fire, and they went out and they preached the gospel in tongues they didn't even know. But everybody understood. This is how it's done, isn't it? The gospel is preached using God's word to bring the pieces of that spiritual puzzle together for people. And then God backs it up with the miraculous, and then people are saved. Preach, miracles, salvation. This is how it's been done from the beginning, isn't it? It works. So why, here in Lystra, does it seem to only work on one person? Maybe, maybe there were a few here in Lystra. What Paul probably didn't realize is that there was a local tradition in Lystra. There's some local lore that was recorded for us by the Roman poet Ovid. Story about Zeus and Hermes, those Greek gods who, as the story goes, they visited this very region, this very town, disguised as men looking for shelter. And they were refused by house after house as they went through the village. Nobody wanted to give these two men shelter until they came to the house of an elderly couple named Philemon and Balkus. Beautiful name for a woman. Because of this couple's hospitality, Zeus and Hermes turned their house into a great temple. And every other house that they had visited had turned them away, they destroyed. So these people lived in fear of Zeus and Hermes. While it may have been a mythological tale, their fear, their philosophy of life, was very real. All the times before this point, we see that Paul and Barnabas were entering synagogues, weren't they? Speaking primarily to Jews, to proselytes, and to God-fearing Gentiles. Those who already had a foundation of God's word in their hearts and their lives. And now, for the first time, there is no mention of a synagogue. Jews or God-fearing Gentiles. The gospel is being shared now in a completely different, completely new environment, a totally new cultural setting with a people who are bound to interpret what they heard through the lens of their previous experience, through their traditions, through their cultural understandings of how the world works. Verse 11, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. The gospel is preached, and an act of God is misinterpreted through tradition and culture, isn't it? Paul and Barnabas carry themselves as the people presumed that Zeus and Hermes would have. Paul being the more animated spokesperson, they called him Hermes. We see that in verse 12. 
Barnabas, having been a man who was rather well off, we saw earlier in chapter 4 that he could afford to sell some property and just give the money to the church, right? He probably carried himself with some kind of sense of quiet authority, so appropriately they called him Zeus. Not only that, not only was it how they carried themselves and how they spoke, but they could heal the unhealable. The man was crippled from birth. And so they see these things and they interpret it through their cultural understanding, through their philosophy of life that they were raised with. Because of the Lycaonians' previous way of life and belief about how things work, having been raised with a a certain way of thinking, a philosophy and, and traditions, the usual gospel presentation doesn't work the way it was intended to, does it? It doesn't yield the results that it previously had. In all the towns before this, yes, there was a divide, but it was a rather wide divide. There was a group that came to Christ, and there was a group that was against it. It seems like here in Lystra, it it backfires. The the whole gospel, miracle, salvation method isn't, isn't working. Did Paul and Barnabas have a good message? Please say yes. They, they, they had the message, didn't they? They had the gospel salvation in Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through him, right? To this day, until the eternal state begins, this is the most necessary message in the world, the the most necessary message of life and life eternal, the message that everyone needs to hear. Everyone. We can even see the potency of the gospel message, even as it was preached, as this man comes to faith and is healed of his infirmity. It is a good message. Freedom from the guilt and the wages of sin through the sacrifice on the cross of Jesus Christ, who can cover your sins with his blood shed in our place. And then in his resurrection, eternal life, life everlasting with joy in the presence of our Savior, in the presence of our God, reconciled to the God who created us. Did they have a good method. They had a good message. Did they have a good method? Well, it was tried and true, wasn't it? It was what they knew, and it was what worked before. It's worked in every town before this. Why shouldn't it work? We've always done it this way. But they hadn't yet encountered the challenge of reaching the purely Gentile, have they? Those who were not God-fearers, who did not have a singularly monotheistic view of the world, of of people who thought differently, of people who even spoke differently. Paul and Barnabas apparently didn't understand right away what was happening. Look at me at verse 11 again. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian. It was a particular dialect specific to their region. Paul and Barnabas are going, these guys are screaming, this is good, they're understanding the gospel, they're glad, yes, we did it. Meanwhile, they're saying, 
It's Zeus and Hermes. Come on, guys. Let's offer sacrifices to these two. And so finally, they're, they're sitting around wondering what's going on. And they see the bulls coming out. And they see the garlands being brought out. And somebody says to them, hey, Paul, did you know they're going to offer sacrifices to you? And Paul says, but when the apostles Barnabas and heard of it, they tore their garments. Verse 14. Rushed out to the crowd, crying out. When they did catch on, Paul and Barnabas stood silent. No! They got up. They reacted. They did something about it, didn't they? When they, they understood that these people weren't catching on, these people were actually going in a completely different direction. They didn't wait to see what the people were going to do. Oh, let's just see how this plays out. They didn't preach the same message and then perform another miracle, hoping it would work the second time around, because, hey, this should work. It's worked every time before, right? Too bad they just don't get it. I hope they find a nice place to worship a little later on. No. They, they, they tore their clothes. They rushed out. They cried out. Verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these things, these vain things, to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Realizing that there was this cultural misperception of what they had said and done, that these, these people are not hearing and receiving the gospel as previous groups had, Paul and Barnabas change their approach, don't they? Instead of shoving the bread of life down these people's throats, no, you got to get it this way. They go and they look for some rice. How are we going to talk to these people? How are we going to bring Jesus to these people when they aren't getting our traditional, our usual gospel presentation? They realize that they cannot start from that monotheistic Judeo premise. We've got to lead them there. Let's go back, all the way back. Let's find them in their culture and reach them where they are. Because if we try to force them into where we are, it isn't working. Verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. Bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. We are only men just like you. There is only one God. They had to teach them that. There is only one God. And he created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. I'm sure somebody in the crowd said, how do you know that? Well, Paul doesn't appeal to Scripture like he would have done before. He doesn't appeal to the law and the prophets, I should say, as he would have with those in the synagogue as he does in Antioch Pisidia earlier in chapter 13. Look at 13, verse 16 with me. 
when he's presenting the gospel there in the synagogue, he says, says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. These are people who knew something of scripture. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with uplifted army led them. And he goes on, referring to scripture to bring a basis to that gospel message that he was bringing to them. But here in Lystra, that isn't working. So what does he do? Verses 16 to 17. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He says to them, God has given you a free will. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But look at the evidence in creation that points to the truth of God. He he brings them back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Paul takes them all the way back to that creation account. He takes them to themes in Scripture that are found in places like Psalms. You find it strewn throughout the Psalms, but particularly Psalm 8, where the work of God's hands bears witness to him. Or Job, chapters 38 to 42, where God talks about all the things he did in creation and says, were you there when I did these things? Paul says to these people at Lystra, look at how nature points to God. The God who provides for all mankind. A God without boundaries. A God omnipresent, a God omnipotent. Whatever nation or or culture or tribe we are from, we all exist in one functional creation. All put in place by one omnipotent God who is able to knit it all together so that it works. The earth tilted at that 23 point some odd degree angle that just causes the seasons to work perfectly around the whole globe. Later, Paul would say, Romans chapter 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark, and claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul takes them back to a common ground on which all mankind stands. Paul and Barnabas here are being refined in their ability to share the gospel. And we're going to see later in chapter 17 when Paul is walking through the town of Athens how this plays itself out in him and how it works itself out beautifully in his gospel presentation to them. Here, Paul and Barnabas are willing to recognize that the gospel, while it always needs to point to God and the truth of his word, as much as God's word is unchanging as he is himself, 
and salvation remains in Christ alone. All right, look, look at this chapter with me, this whole chapter 14, verse 3. It says, So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace. The message is the Lord's. We see that right here in, in verse 3. In verse 3 and, and 8 through 9 and 15, what does 8 through 9 say? It says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. Paul looked at him intently, seeing he had faith to be made well, said in a voice, Stand on your feet. He springs up. He is healed. Verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men. I want them to turn to a living God. See, the message is the Lord's, and God bears witness through the miraculous. They are just men. People are healed, but that's because God heals them. God is the one bearing witness through his power. In verses 15 through 17, it describes to us that creation is his. He's the one who made it. Verse 22, a little after where we read today. They're strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom is his. Verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. The church is his. The people in the church are his. The mission is his. Verse 26, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. The mission that they've been on this whole time, it's God's. The accomplishments are his. Verse 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they, they declared all that God had done with them, how he had opened a door to faith to the Gentiles. This, this whole thing points to God. The message, the mission, everything. And while all of this points to God and his word, and that, that gospel message of Jesus Christ, while, while the message must communicate the truth of God and his word, it will not communicate the same way to all people in every time, in every place, in every culture, every nation, every tribe. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. After we are empowered by the Spirit of God living in us. God empowers us. He guides, he directs, he fulfills his plan of salvation for people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he uses us to do so. He allows even desires for us to be a part of his will, but we need to remember that it will always and must always be his will that we participate in. Here we are. Paul and Barnabas. Here at Alden Union Church, we know and we understand that gospel message the necessity of it, the power of it. We have the gospel truth, eternal life, don't we? And what we want to do is 
step back and ask ourselves, how are people hearing this message from us today? How are we communicating this message to the non-believer? And how are we using all of our resources, everything we are, to, to build up the believer of today? We're surrounded by a world that needs Jesus Christ. Are we bread pushers or rice finders? We may wish that it wouldn't, but the culture around us is changing faster than we realize. While we hide in our four walls, do things the way we always have. Do the methods we currently use, our services, our programs, our, our methods of reaching out, teaching, growing in the Word of God and the gospel truth, do, do they force our surrounding culture into our mold of what we think godliness should look like? Or are we ready to take a step back? Are we ready to, to tear our clothes and go back to the drawing board and find ways to bring people in? that they too could know and understand the truth that we carry. We have eternal life. We can't get more eternal life than we've got. They've got nothing. Are we ready to allow God to refine us, our methods and our hearts for others? Can, can we change should we change any of our preferences or, or comfortable ways of doing things in order to reach the lost? As we can see here in verse 18, it says, Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. It is desperately difficult to overcome the traditions and the culture in which we are raised. And, and that goes for the believer and the non-believer. But I can guarantee you this, they won't step to the gospel first. They won't come to Jesus Christ unless we step out. We need to be the ones willing to step towards them, to step toward another people, to step toward another generation to reach down and lift them up. We have a, a choice. We can, we can stand on our lofty platform and say, well, you should come up here. It's good up here. Or we can reach down and get dirty and pick them up. Encouraging them reaching them with the gospel, bringing them into the family, the body of Christ, encouraging, building them up from where they are. Because we're already here. We need to be able to change anything and everything except the truth of the inerrant word of God. The message cannot, will not, ever change. 
We need to be able to differentiate and discern between the church tradition and biblical mandate. Our preferences and the things God's word says are absolute and unchangeable. Everything we say and do must point people to the unchanging God of creation and salvation and his word. The method, the method we use should be an open-handed issue while the message is held with a closed fist. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you, and we pray that you would use this church mightily in this community, here in this place. We pray, Lord, you would use each and every individual person in this room. That to our core, we would recognize who you are in your word and its applicability in our lives. Father God, would you fill us with your spirit and use us. Change our hearts, O God. Make them ever true. Help us to be more like you. To desire to see the people in this world come to a knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be reconciled to you through him, filled with your Spirit, just like we are. We give to you this church. We give to you this family. Give to you all of our resources. They are yours for your will. Pray, Lord, for your Spirit's guidance and wisdom for any changes that we might make, that they would be according to your will. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.